Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Nat Chang Rinpoche. Chapter 21, Part 1. Yonglei Mingyur Doji. Setting out for Tsamiling was not the adventure it had been the first time I took the road north to Scotland. I knew exactly where I was going. I knew what the place looked like but the atmosphere would be different. It's people who make a place what it is. I wondered if Jan would be there, or Dot, or Georgina. I doubted whether Kate would be there after my hasty departure from Liverpool and my, I regret to say this, reply to her letter. She had no interest in organised religion so a return to Sammy Ling would hold no attraction for her unless she'd freed herself from Amy and Atlas. On this occasion, I thought, I'll not take challenges vis-à-vis -vis wearing ladies' knickers or doing anything at all that strays over the line. But what was that line? A conservative, conventional, orthodox, unadventurous, precautious, prudent, judicious, safety-first line would be easy enough to draw. But was that what Dudjum Rinpoche would have wanted? I'd crossed no moral, ethical line as far as I was aware, but maybe I'd crossed a line in terms of formality, dignity, decorum, or maybe it was appropriateness. But that was a vague term as I had no idea what was appropriate or not in my case. I knew of no other Inji Nakpas, Inji Lamas or Inji Trulkus, and so there was no yardstick. There was the idea of being in the world but not of the world. But how far in the world could one be without becoming of the world. I knew that this would not be a question had I not taken Nakpa vows. Everything I did now reflected on the robes I'd been given. It had all been so simple in the Himalayas. It had seemed impossible to put a foot out of line, but here in the West it was an entirely different story. The line had become a tightrope walk. I was grateful that there was always a net to catch me when I tripped over my own feet. And so, with this somewhat turgid conjecture, I set out. The journey was as the previous one had been, but colder. I realised I'd passed Carlisle by some twenty miles without having thought about it, and somehow this gave me confidence that I could simply go to Sammy Ling without finding myself involved in anything ridiculous. I'd give anyone a lift who wanted one, but I wouldn't be staying over to meet anyone's interesting friends. I arrived at Sammy Ling sooner than I'd expected, unloaded my bags and walked in. My name was on the list, so there was no problem, apart from them having expected me to be Tibetan. Why are you using a Tibetan name? 
I was asked by a thin woman with a florid complexion and almost absent nose. Because I was ordained as a Nakpa and I use my ordained name when I'm in Buddhist places. But you have long hair and you're not wearing robes, she replied, with the air of one who knows everything. Robes aren't easy to wear on a motorcycle, I replied, and one of my vows is never to cut my hair. I was ordained as a Nakpa, you see, not, not a monk. I belong to the non-celibate wing of the Nyingma tradition. Oh, I see. Well, I don't know what to do about your room now because all the ordained people are in the main house and the non-ordained are in the other one. I don't mind where you put me. Well, as you're not celibate, it's probably best you go to the other house. Fine, I smiled. A stupid joke was instantly at the forefront of my mind. It's just as well that I should be in the other house, as a non-celibate like me would probably roger all the nuns. This was not a joke it took any effort to repress, but I wondered why it had even formed in my mind. Just tell me where and I'll take my things over. Would there ever come a time when such internal witticisms ceased to occur? They were harmless and less given voice, but it worried me that it might be some sort of internal ploy to make myself feel superior. Meryl, Penelope and Rebecca would have told me, you're being unrealistically hard on yourself. It's what they always said. Maybe they were right. There was no point in doing anything other than noticing such quirks and letting them go. I let it go. Thus it was that I was given my place in a large room with a number of beds over in another house just down a ways from the main house. I unpacked my things, changed into my robes and sauntered back to the main house to sit in the library and await dinner. I was looking at a book by Helmut Hoffman in which I'd found two utterly remarkable photographs of a lama who I later discovered to be Ling Tsang Gyalpo Rinpoche. How I loved looking at such photographs of Nakpas. As I was thus absorbed, a nun entered the library and looked somewhat perturbed to see me there. Who are you? she asked in a tone that betrayed a singular lack of human warmth. Are you a Hindu? I'm Nakpa Churgyam, I replied with a smile, but I'm not a Hindu. What led you to believe I might be a Hindu? You're wearing white. Hindus wear white. I don't doubt it, but I don't know anything about Hinduism. I'm a Nyingma Nakpa. A what? she asked rather crisply. A nakpa. I turned the book round to show her the picture. One of these. That's a picture of a llama, she said, as if that meant I was wrong in what I had said. Undoubtedly, I replied, but he is also a nakpa. The word nakpa applies to the style of ordination. You see, he's wearing a white shamtab and his robes, apart from the brocade, 
are more or less like the ones you see me wearing. I remembered the words of Dudjum Rumshe. With each life circumstance, whatever is enacted, stare directly into the enactment with all the senses. The nun then did something quite peculiar. She turned round and left the room without another word. I returned to the Helmut Hoffman book and tried to find a textual reference for the Lama. Five minutes later the nun appeared again and said, Akong Rinpoche says he's met you at Samiling before and seen you at the Vajra crown ceremony, so it's all right. Akong Rinpoche says you should be in this house with the ordained rather than over there in the other house. So if you can just go and get, move your things before dinner, it will cause less of an accommodation problem. I don't know what made you go there when you should have been here. Happy to oblige, I replied. I went there because that's where I was told to go. Didn't you explain that you're supposed to be like an ordained person? Yes, I did explain that I was supposed to be something like that, I smiled. But it was a question of my not being celibate that seemed to cause the difficulty. Anyway, no need to go into such detail. Could you just move your things as soon as possible? Without further delay, I smiled. I wouldn't like to be late for dinner. Then the nun turned on her heel again and vanished. What, I mean what, was wrong with the woman? I wondered how many other friendly persons were ensconced at Sami Ling, all eager to see Gyalwa Karmapa, the emanation of compassion. Still, it was no concern of mine. It would have to be my practice, simply to remain well-mannered and cheerful under all provocation. That was no great hardship. If I could endure Todd Welcome and Veranda Nugent in the illustration studio and Det on the return journey from Stratford, I could endure almost anything in the way of acerbity, acidity or acrimony. I moved my belongings to the room indicated by a pleasant fellow with a rather nice maroon Tibetan shirt and woollen waistcoat. I remarked on his rather fine, colourful felt Tibetan boots. I use them as slippers when I'm here, he replied, because they'd wear out quickly if I wore them outside. They're really rather fine, I replied. It would be a pity to get them dirty too, as it would spoil the colours. They were red and green and had blue velvet shanks and they had a squared toe that I found intriguing. I'd seen boots like that when I was in India, but I'd had no money to buy a pair. I've seen leather Tibetan boots too, but they were all made of black leather. You don't like black? Not in leather, not so much, no. I find that it doesn't age as well as brown leather. When black leather scuffs, it goes grey and then you have to use black polish on it. With brown leather boots and shoes, you just use neutral renovating cream and although they'll get blotchy, they always seem to look good. Well, to me, anyway. Never thought about it that way, but you're right. Thanks for the tip. Nice to talk with you. Maybe talk with you some more over dinner.
Yes, that'll be splendid. I was delighted to have met a human being at last. I'll be down in a few minutes. bed. There was a western monk meditating in the corner. As I was unpacking, another monk entered and, oblivious to the presence of someone practising, he asked in a rather loud voice, You're not supposed to be in here. You're not a monk. I remembered the words of Dujan Rimshe. With each life circumstance, whatever is enacted, stare directly into the enactment with all the senses. True, I replied somewhat wearily. I'm not a monk, I'm a Nakpa, but whichever. Akong Rimshe instructed me to stay here. I originally moved into the other house, but Akong Rimshe said I should be here. The monk stood gawping at me for a moment and then left the room. Why did ordained monastics not seem to be able to conclude conversations in a cordial manner, I wondered. I passed the monk on the stairs and, like the nun, he told me that Akong Rinpoche had confirmed that my presence was to be tolerated. Was I to be checked at five-minute intervals throughout my stay? This was becoming a trifle bizarre, but I decided to find it amusing rather than annoying. I entered the dining room and was served with a large bowl of rather excellent vegetable soup and looked around for the friendly young man, and there he was suddenly. His name was Garant Williams. I'm Welsh, he said with a grin. Some of the monks and nuns find my accent funny but never wonder what I think of theirs. That made me laugh. Good to have a sense of humour about it, but hasn't everyone got an accent of one sort or another? Yes, I suppose they must have. Never thought of it that way. Some people seem to think the Welsh are educationally subnormal. Hmm, I would have thought that Buddhists who'd actually studied and practised Buddhism would have moved beyond relating to people as cultural stereotypes. You know, when I was at school, I got beaten up a fair few times because my mother's German. Some of them seemed to think my mother and I were personally responsible for World War Two or some such thing. Everyone and his uncle seemed to have lost some relative in the war and it was my fault, I laughed. Good that you can laugh about that too, he said. Well, it's easy to laugh about being beaten up a decade or more later. It doesn't upset me personally in any way, but it does make me sad thinking about the mind state of people who act like that. It's the irony of it. I have a German mother and I'm therefore a Nazi so people feel the need to act like Nazis toward me. Now, if anything can be described as educationally subnormal, that must be a fairly good example. And that was in the heart of the home counties. Yes, see what you mean. 
You know, one of the monks told me that wearing Tibetan clothes was spiritual materialism. Do you think that's true? Did you ask for his opinion? No. Then he had no reason to give it. Who's your teacher? Akong Rinpoche. Well, Akong Rinpoche is the only one who has the authority to give you his personal opinions. I'd ask him about it and settle with what he says, if you really need to be assured. But as there's no law about what you should wear as a Buddhist, I don't see that it's anyone's concern but yours. Almost everyone's got some opinion here, though, Garant replied with a certain tone of slight resentment. I wasn't here an hour before I met three considerable opinions, I laughed. Anyhow, as to spiritual materialism, that seems to be somewhat misunderstood. Spiritual materialism is the act of creating territory out of spirituality, of concretizing spiritual ideas into personal territory. From that point of view, the monk who told you that your clothes were spiritual materialism was a spiritual materialist in his motivation for telling you so. Really? That would be my opinion. Unless you're wearing those clothes in order to impress people that you are more spiritual than they are, merely because you're wearing them, they're simply clothes you like to wear. I'd go so far as to say that I've met a few monks and nuns to whom robes are merely a status symbol. For example, my robes don't make me any better than you. Only my mind, speech and behaviour can make me better or worse than another person. If I dress like a Nakpa and behave like a boar, then I'm a boar in Nakpa dress. Dressing like a deep-sea diver wouldn't make me a deep-sea diver. Only children engage in make-believe. They dress like doctors and nurses, cowboys and cowgirls. They play at being as they appear. It's all great fun for children and there's little harm in it. But when adults dress up as ordainees and their minds, speech and behaviour don't reflect their ordination, then what makes them any different from children involved in make-believe? Except that they take themselves entirely seriously. At least children know when the game is over.